0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy you're joining us today. Today we have a really wonderful human being on our podcast. He's someone that I met last year uh, through my work with Yoga Gives Back. And Yoga Gives Back, as I think most of you know, is a nonprofit organization that helps to empower and support women um, who are in communities and areas that are very poor and helps them to obtain loans, micro loans, that they do not have to pay interest on. They only have to pay back. To start their own businesses and so it's an incredible organization that allows these women to uh, establish their own business and they establish different types of businesses that then uh, they employ other women in their communities to help them and are able to support not only their families but many families and it uplifts the entire community that they are a part of so um, Yoga Gives Back is beginning a month-long campaign in June. Uh, it's their main month for uh, fundraising, and this year it's they're offering the second annual global gathering for India. And I, again, will be meeting with our guests today on a special panel on June 5th. Uh, It will be happening at 10 a.m. Pacific time, so I believe that's at 6 p.m. in the UK. And it's a free event, but you need to make a donation, or you ought to make a donation, to support this incredible cause. All of the teachers and speakers are donating their time to the event, and it will be live streaming June 3rd, 4th, and 5th. It's an entire weekend. Um, Our panel will be a special panel where I'll be joined with Anouk Prop, uh, Sean Korn, who's very famous, Yogini. Uh, She created her own nonprofit organization called Off The Mat Into The World. Richard Freeman and Mary Taylor, friends of the show and beloved yoga teachers. And today's guest, again, um, Vikram Jeet Singh. So I hope that you'll be joining us online. We are talking about yoga for mental wellness during challenging times. And so it will be a wonderful conversation where you will get to know some of the practices that have helped supported um, the speakers through difficult and challenging times. You'll learn a little bit more about them and maybe what some of these difficult and challenging times have been for them personally. But also as we all know it has been a particularly difficult and challenging time globally in the world and especially in America in the United States. Um, The last Two years, but also this last week as well. So um, I hope that you'll join us because these challenging times will continue. <laughs> and we need to learn how to adapt our practice and use our practice to support and nourish our bodies and our minds so that we can continue. To be a force for good, a force of light, a force of compassion and positivity and a joy in the world. Because if we allow these challenging situations, these terrible things that have gone on uh, collectively, socially, to impact our hearts and minds in a negative, dark way, then we can't be the light warriors that we need to be in this world. So I hope that you will join us and join Yoga Gives Back and use your practice and this time of learning um, as a time where you're also giving back to India, the motherland, the homeland of all of the yoga teachings and traditions and the practices that we love so dearly. So, I can't wait for you to meet Vikram Jeet Singh. He is an incredible human. Um, he was born in India, is from India, but lived many years in Canada. I also live in Canada, but we lived on very opposite sides of the country, so we never met, but um, he's a wonderful teacher in our community, in the Ashtanga Yoga community, and also in the Modo Yoga community. Um, but is currently living in Goa and teaching mainly online at this point he's a yoga philosopher and um, just a wonderful human being so you can find him on instagram and online and in our interview which is coming up right now hi welcome to the finding harmony podcast i'm your host harmony and i am here with russell case
1: i'm quite ill yeah i'm not well
0: that's too bad. I'm
1: going to try and bring the energy, though. Yeah, bring it. Yeah.
0: Because we are here all the way across the ocean, cross continents with Vikram Jeet Singh. Hi, Vikram. How are you?
2: Good, Harmony. Thank you. Hi, Russell.
1: Hello. It was a pleasure discussing basketball with you before we got online. That was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> you,
2: you are I a Toronto prior.
1: Raptors fan, I can tell.
2: Yes, I actually am an old school classic. Back in the day, a good old fashioned, you know, Steve Kerr, Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, like a Bulls fan. Oh, like, let's leave. Let's leave that for a different podcast. Maybe.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> but that is why I'm a Warriors fan. Is because I was such a big Bulls fan, and and when Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf blew up the team, I was very disillusioned. I was a very naive young man. And so I followed Phil Jackson to the Lakers. I followed that for a little bit, and then um, I, when Steve Kerr became coach of the Warriors, I thought, ah, this is my team because I was, that was my nickname in Chicago when I was playing basketball, the C- Cabrini Green. It was like little. They called me Little Steve Kerr, and I think it was only because I was the only white person. Because I was really more <laughs> of a defensive player. I was a much. I modeled my game after Dennis Rodman, but everyone said, no, no, he's Little Steve Kerr. It's like I'm. I think that's. I think that's racist but that's fine
2: <laughs> i love that and the best are possible
0: <laughs>
1: <coughs> take it where you can get it what's oh. yeah.
0: mm. so interesting is we were both from canada but i didn't meet you until last year when we were doing the yoga gives back panel together and i think you had already moved to india by then
2: that's right and uh, I mean more, more, more in terms of us just kind of accepting how life has transitioned. We we technically came here for four months, oh, and wow. here we are, and here we are, almost two and a half years in. You know, so I think happened happened fluidly, happened organically, and yeah, I, I do miss Canada, I do miss you know friends, family, practitioners in Toronto, but yeah, this is good for now. And Goa is not a bad bad place to be, at, and you know that so.
0: Yes, we've been to go many times and it's pretty nice. <laughs> you get to be there with the beaches and the yeah. rainy seasons a little bit. I hope you're traveling somewhere during rainy season.
2: I am um, hope, not hopefully it's it's finally in motion. So June in Bali, practicing with the wonderful folks there and July in uh, in Mysore.
0: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Who will you go see in Bali? There's so many teachers to choose from now.
2: Good question. I think I went with the ones that I know at least know of mm-hmm. through through social media. So I'll be practicing with uh, Ashtanga, uh, Ashtanga Yoga Research Bali. That's mm-hmm. Radha and Prem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, Radha and
1: Prem. Friends of the show. Yeah,
0: nice. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. nice.
1: Very, good, very nice people.
0: Yeah, yeah. but I'm yeah. sure there's, there's a nice little community there. I think Ian Grisick is in um, Ubud, which is a little bit further away, more in the city.
1: And my old friends Kirsten and Mitchell.
0: Are, they come and go though. We never quite know oh, where right? they are. They, they don't live there full time.
1: So those people live there full time. Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Mark and Deepika might be setting up oh, a yeah. school somewhere like outside, further, further away too. So
2: I I hear that. I think they have. I, I, I'll reach out to them. I think there is some sort of a workshop or an intensive or an emotional happening. Yeah, something around that time. So yeah, yeah. but
0: Looking that'll be nice. With. You can practice with Prem and Radha and just relax kind of and enjoy. You do have a four-year-old, so not so much relaxation, but a little bit of relaxation.
3: <laughs> a little bit,
2: yeah. It'll be yeah. it'll be good. But it'll be good to it'll be good to get back to a regular practice. You know, the last two and a half years have been. A little hard. It's um, Mm. you know, I I know the sequence and I know the practice, but you know, you know how it is to be in a room with a teacher, with other fellow practitioners. It's um it's a completely different ballgame. Um yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to being in that shared space and and just being a student and practicing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it helps a lot to have that practice space with people and a teacher and you know, kind of keeps you motivated to get past standing. (laughs) <laughs>
1: Some sure. of the I I I wasn't sure, but I thought I saw many many very kind of uh, phenomenal pictures of you with in your Asana practice online. Does that sound like you? Does that do you think? <laughs> are those you are, a bit of
0: a contortionist? Are
1: you? Is that accurate to say that uh, your practice is um, in the advanced stage?
2: Well. Um... I guess "advanced" is such a such an impression word nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, the, yeah. in the in the yoga world, who who is advanced? But let's just say that um, been practicing asana for give or take about fourteen years, and I think a combination of discipline, having a good teacher, has has borne results. Um, I definitely would be more on the flexible, bendier side. Then on the stronger side, so so the contortion types <laughs> asanas, moves, poses uh, come a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you, for those of your listeners who are familiar with the Ashtanga series, my superpower is paschasana. I've been able to do it <laughs> no problems from day one. Um, mm.
1: so yeah, very soft feet. Yeah,
0: <laughs> soft angles. Soft. <laughs> soft
2: <ankle. laughs> Soft ankles. That's, mm-hmm. there you go. That's, Long that's arms because, and
0: skinny legs. Those was, are, that's the there key you go. to mm, there you skinny. Go.
2: I But, was but thinking... Let me, let me, but please. I was just going to say, let me, let me, let me also say that in the past two and a half years, I have lost my superpower because there's also some girth involved. So yeah, yeah. But we're getting there, but we're getting there. So yeah.
0: Me too. Pashasana was always hard and, and now mm. it just it's it, it went away. We need a <laughs> a little
1: little help, sweetie. I I was thinking about that because when um this is a long time ago for me, but when your star is in ascension in your practice and everything is um is, everything is, is is at a stage where it's as, as advanced for your physical form as it as it will be, it's uh it's so much more bitter to lose even this this the slightest uh whisper of a practice and then it must it can be frustrating at that point that now I can do nothing and I don't give a shit but, at the, at the, but <laughs> so then so much is gone <laughs> but then when you know I, I would lose you know um a fingernail of my back bend I would be distressed.
2: Yeah I, I fully agree with you. So this should be this should be an interesting trip in, in many ways you know revisiting the asana practice um yeah it's a it's going to be a very interesting journey yeah and 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 i love it you know sometimes we we tend to idolize asana so much we forget that it's it's just life Mm -hmm. It's, it's gonna get old you know it's not just you your asana practice getting go is getting old too so it's great that one can tack on a decade two decades three decades of asana practice but there is a general evolution of your physical body that's happening there as well. You know, mm. hopefully the mind's getting stronger, calmer in those poses. So yeah, yeah, But that is, that
1: is correct, isn't it? I mean, it's a it's a tool towards balancing the mind. It's not um, it's not a tool towards um, uh, a, a ticket to Las Vegas' Cirque du Soleil. <laughs>
2: which is interesting because i I've, I've been fortunate enough to see one of those live in Toronto many many years ago and any any sort of misconception that i had about being bendy or flexible was, <laughs> or, strong. Was, was put, or strong was put to rest that day and yeah. has and has has been buried and will be buried in this and many lifetimes right. so yeah i think that's that's a good place if someone's kind of needing like a little bit of a check in yeah. terms of
0: Reality how bendy check. Maybe
2: there a reality check. Just just go watch. Just yeah. go watch. Maybe maybe even watch their second cast or the third cast. You know, don't even watch the the front line. The don't even watch the main cast. Just watch the backups. that will be enough.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. For we sure. were there in two thousand and twenty, I think, yeah, we or two thousand and nineteen. Uh, maybe I think it was. We went to one of their shows and saw Alexi. Alexi. I forget his last. You can name. just look
1: up Alexi Cirque du Soleil.
0: <laughs> On the last
1: time we saw oh him. Gosh he was uh lying prone on a um
0: like Barandasana, but like with his legs straight out
1: so a complete uh jackknife
0: like a complete backband with his head and his butt together the back of his head and and his sacrum no circle
1: just a complete line and then he was he was doing uh Pull-ups. no no uh press ups he, he was doing he was lifting those the you have the bar with the weights yeah, the weights. weights he was pushing weights
0: yeah press up press press we don't
1: work out obviously
0: (laughs) it didn't look safe i'll tell you that much
1: i don't know what that's called when you press weights up and down it's
0: called a press up
1: i don't know but you're like lying on a thing and you and you have weights. bench press bench his bench he's benching weights (laughs) in that position and it was incredible
2: not, you're not even sure what you'd be more impressed
0: with, right? When the body looks like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I would never press. I would never bench press anything, let alone
0: do it in Gundam and <laughs> <dust them out.
1: laughs> Yeah, yeah. At that point, like you, it you can maintain the illusion of uh, competitiveness in Mysore if you were competing with Russell or Harmony. But like once Alexa is there, then the pointlessness of the of the exercise is so apparent.
2: could not agree more.
1: Mm.
0: It was interesting. Um, You know, I reached out to you because I wanted to connect with you because we're connecting again. And I guess just like almost a week's time for the Yoga Gives Back um, event, their big fundraiser for the month of June, their gala. Um, And we're on an interesting panel about, you know, helping your practice or like how to approach the practice during challenging times and I think we've all like we just said have been through some challenging times the last couple years a lot of changes a lot of um, uncertainty a lot of illness sickness Um, and and also you had posted something on your social media about like the emphasis on the asanas taking over what we think to be yoga. And it just spoke to my heart so much because I mean, that's sort of a place that, that always hits me too. <laughs> because there's this funny um, juxtaposition that goes on between if you want to sell something, let's say, or get people to know about something, forget about sales, just like, I'm doing this thing or I'm going to be here or whatever. Right. Then if you post an asana picture, you're going to get like three or four times more attention than if you just post even just a picture of yourself, like being normal, let alone, you know, sitting in meditation or doing anything boring like that. Right? (laughs) And so it was a, an interesting, um, Thing. I'd love for you to just like talk a little bit about that, especially like being in India. Nobody really associates like real yoga with asana practice. That was always my That's experience just, of being there. There was like, yeah. you're working out, you're like doing gymnastics. That's you're, just
1: something children can do.
0: Yeah. You're exercising. Yeah. You know, but yoga is about like meditation and chanting and pranayama and like doing these internal practices. Is that your experience too?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think I, because I grew up in India, so I and at least at the at the time that I was growing up in, it's a it's a different scenario now. Everything that can be broad, broadly classified in the genre of yoga was predominantly non-asana related. And I actually took my first class in Toronto, very grateful, you know, for that experience. It, it set up this beautiful journey. But that did not really have the kind of emphasis it does right now. And things are changing. Things are changing here very rapidly. You've traveled into India enough times to know that the you know we, we have this ancient culture, this very steep, rich culture. the allure that any culture has for a different culture is always there. you know So we've always looked at the West as in this this glamorous, shiny thing, this object, you know that is so far away. And I'm sure the perspective is the same on the other side. So I Mm -hmm. see sometimes, I see some facets of that. I see some facets of that seeping here as well, kind of having the same studio mentality set up, the the workout set up, the quick fix set up, which is, I would say a little more contradictory here, as opposed to on a high street or a main street in any big downtown North American city. Um, and I and I don't know. I think there is some pushback. I think it's going to change. It's, there's this global movement, this global collective voice, if you will, about wanting to make yoga more accessible and beyond the asana, because that's the reality. We, we were joking about it, but you know, there's not too many Alexis in the world, and, and for good reason, you know. Mm. Um, and and that and that's great. And the, I mean, I'm only taking a, a guess here, a gander here. But I'm sure despite whatever genes, privileges, upbringing that Alexei was born with, he must have they must have worked very hard to be where they are and keep it and yeah, that's no sure. different than, than any of us so so my my whole messaging or that where I find myself at this crossroads is I want to encourage a holistic practice, a holistic practice that is sustainable. you know we were speaking about this at some point you would hit. You're both very experienced teachers and practitioners. You know, in your own embodied experience and practice that there is a shelf life to asana. Mm. I don't think someone can say that when it comes to meditation or anything of the intellectual mindset, you know, exploring exploring your discernment, practicing the yamas and the niyamas. There is no shelf life to that. That's a lifelong journey. Yeah. No one can say that, oh, I'm 75 years old. So I think I should just kind of stop saying the truth anymore. No more satya for me. I'm 75. My joints are creaky. <laughs> I'm just going to lie all the time, but at 75, you will not be able to possibly maybe put your legs behind your head in or, you know, or any of those poses, life will just happen. So I'm thinking my, my messaging, my, 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 any conversation such as this or, you know, casual formal, doesn't matter. My messaging is more around that, about looking at that wholesomeness of the practice and Mm -hmm. kind of embracing that, you know, as, as, and when you are ready to do that.
0: Yeah. Like the all eight limbs. (laughs)
2: That's the key. And, and again, it's from embodied experience. I I have this really tattered yoga sutra that's sitting here. I actually bought it mm. in the Toronto studio. The Edwin Bryant. Yeah. the Edwin Bryant one says right here, yeah. uh, 2011, January. Did not open it till 2014, just sat there, you know, made me look really smart when people came over. It was on the bookshelf. It was yeah, great.
1: looking smart.
2: Yeah. Looking smart, very important, yeah. right? Gotta fit, gotta, gotta fit the, the yogi role model. But I was completely enamored and only interested in asana. But mm-hmm. at some point things shifted. And this is where I think sometimes I find myself grappling at odds. Oftentimes people, people think that that can happen quickly or that can happen overnight. No, mm-hmm. you would have to fully experience and embody that and kind of start realizing the entanglement of staying stuck there, if you will. It doesn't matter how far you're progressing but that's a natural process. It's not gonna happen overnight. So by all means, get on your mat, give it your best, do all the asanas that you're, t- with the help of your teacher, with the help of your you know, physical mobility and so on and so forth. But somewhere in the back of your mind, it's good to plan to see that there's a, there's a little more beyond that.
3: Mm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I want to go back to that moment. It was such a, a beautiful story. And I think that there's some interesting uh, grist for the mill. Um, mm-hmm. Your first class, you're in, Toronto and you're working and your boss came to you I believe I read this in the Elegant Outlaw. please tell me if this is incorrect (laughs) your boss came to you and said you are Indian you must do yoga and and then you just seemed to sort of take that in stride (laughs) Because that's you know obviously a disc, uh, discrimination and, and uh, but you know I would think that you're Indian you must be a structural engineer you know so I I don't know um, but then you went and took the class and you changed your whole life and became a, a, a yoga teacher <laughs> which is amazing I, so I want to I want to just I want to dissect all of that I want to know what you were doing in Toronto what work you were doing were you a structural engineer
0: And how did you get to Toronto and then.
1: I, how do you, how do you, how can you stand this, uh, this blatant racism? <laughs> G-
2: great questions. Um, and it's very interesting. So this is, this is 2006, you know, yeah. yoga does not really, at least in India, and even in North America, for what I remember, it does not have that main stage that it does now, you know, like mm. no 30 million practitioners, $16 billion industry and so on and mm. so forth. Um, so I was in Toronto to do a postgrad in human resources. My background from a corporate life is training and human resources, um, um, not IT uh, you know I guess huh. I guess we end up doing some other stuff too though, though my parents in all fairness did want me to be a doctor so I will give them credit. They Did' follow the dream on that aspect. Um, and I, I, I kind of found it funny because I guess I never thought that that's what people, she actually had been a practitioner for a few years, so I was quite surprised. anytime I revisit this conversation or I think about that time, I remember clearly, um, you know, the, the physical space that that conversation was happening. I was quite impressed that she was able to make that connection because not too many people have, well, now yes, but at then, not too many people had associated me being Indian and doing yoga. And it's interesting what came out. What came out of my mouth when when she asked me that was no. I don't do yoga. I play cricket. That's what Indians do. Yeah. That's
1: right. Yeah. Um,
0: (laughs) Much more popular than yoga in India. (laughs) Even
1: Sharad is a crazed cricket player.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. You, 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 you show him a tennis ball and a little, little half cracked bat and three stumps, like three, I don't know, three pieces of wood that could, or one piece of wood that could substitute for a wicked.
1: It's all it takes. He's
2: in. Yeah. He's in. (laughs) He's in. in. (laughs) He's in. Three hours later, 17 missed calls from his family and then he'll eventually head back home so yeah Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah so that's what I was doing there and I mean I joke about it I say that you know I work in HR I understand the the dynamics really well when your boss makes a recommendation you take it so (laughs) so I took a a recommendation I ended up um, I was living in the you know in an area in Toronto and I in that area. I looked for, she said, try hot yoga. It's really good. You know, make, make sense. You live in Canada. It's a cold country. Mm-hmm. So I came up with two searches. I came up with the studio chain that at that point was called Moksha and I came in with Bikram and I found myself in the Moksha studio only because they were on the subway line. It made sense, you know, <laughs> kind of packed my bag, got my suit. They said they had a shower. I was like, all right, I'll take my class, take a shower, hop on the subway and go to work. Paid $20 for, a, for an intro week. It was a you know good old fashioned 90 minute they're, they're from the same same family, you know, repeat two two poses or two sets of the same pose, hundred and four degrees, hundred and two degrees, um, mm-hmm. Fahrenheit, you know, like a, a classic heart yoga class. felt great, fell in love with it, and pretty much went six, maybe seven days a week after that till I till I found Ashtanga. And that's why I think the transition to, to practicing Ashtanga was an easy one, you know, because the only commitment was you got to show up here six days a week. And I was like, wait, you get the day off?
3: Mm. Awesome, I'm in. You know? yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so that's the backstory to that. Uh, but I got to tell you, uh, I still remember, you know, it was a classic studio setup class. I kind of walked in, the room was dimly lit. I put my mat down, lay down. From what I can remember, I could do some, some of the... Some of the class, some of the class I could not do seemed quite physically challenging. And I remember laying down at the end of the class, you know, in silence, I think we got five, seven minutes. Um, and, I, and I can still remember that feeling, that feeling of uh, quiet. You know, mm. I've, I've grown mm. up in India, so I'm, I'm used to different levels of sound mm. uh, and noise, but this was a different kind of quiet. You know, the room was physically quiet, but I, I was at that point, I was 30 years old i never felt that quiet my whole life. And it was interesting that I found it after moving so much, you know, you would think that so much of movement would kind of perhaps make you a little more agitated. The room was hot, I was sweating, my clothes were soaked. But yeah, I still remember, you know, that's what, I, that's what my takeaway is, you know, whatever, 16, 16 years later, um, I can still remember that, that sense of quiet within me. And I was, I was hooked. It's yeah. beautiful.
0: Yeah, I love that. I I remember after my first yoga class, too, it was like that sense of quiet, but also feeling like really clean, like there was a spaciousness and like a a, just like a clean feeling, like from the inside, you know, that was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. I was used to like working out and running and dancing and like doing stuff, but it was just like something very different. So I can relate to that sort of yeah. different level of quietness.
1: One thing that um, Harmony and I were talking about last night, and I think it's because we were thinking about this interview. I'm, I'm not sure, but we were talking about the, the root of manas and the discriminative faculty of the mind, the, the buddhi, and how it, how our mind constantly makes... Uh, evaluations of sense objects you know this is uh this is this is a white thing this is a black thing this is a male thing a female thing this is this is this and this is that and then you know we we make we have emotional connotations with those things and the story develops and we like it or we dislike it for whatever reason we dislike vanilla and we like chocolate for whatever reason it's inexplicable but you can you can start to examine it and understand the story, and perhaps make sense of it. But it 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 seems um, that the the buddhi and its its discrimination is inevitable. And, and I wonder if you could um, you could talk about it because I think in the context of the story about your boss coming to you and saying, no, oh, you're Indian. You must do yoga." I think it's quite sweet. Uh, some maybe some person could be offended by it, but it's a sweet story. Just like I was being called Steve Kerr for, there's no reason for it.
2: I think what happens is, uh, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful example. It's in the same, it's in the Brian book. You know, your, um, your, your, uh, your manas engaging the sense objects, the indriyas hangs around in the world and it keeps collecting, you know, it keeps collecting, keeps collecting, keeps collecting. Um, and, and, and when, and when that information comes in, you know, your your sense of INS, your, your asmita, your ahamkara, decides what does that information mean to you? So for example, you know, when, when that person said, oh, called you Steve Kerr, some part of you registered, you know, joined the dots, oh Steve Kerr, white basketball player in the predominantly black sport, mm-hmm. and then kind of determined what that means to Russell as a person. So mm-hmm. similarly, at some point I was like, oh, all right, my, you know, Anne-Marie, that's my boss, my ex-boss, Anne-Marie said that I do yoga and because I'm Indian. Cool. Now, what, I'm, what does that mean to me? And at that point of time, my intellect quickly, quickly does this like Google search times infinity and says, has this ever happened before? And if the answer comes back, yes, it quickly searches. How did that make you feel? Angry, upset, sad, you know, quickly starts categorizing Mm. and then in a split second it says it made me angry and you could say how dare you say that to me Mm
3: -hmm. Mm. or
2: it says it's never happened before then then it then the the arrow points down okay it's never happened before back to you manas how are you feeling about it (laughs) i'm not sure okay let's shelf this let's see how we feel about this two days from now three days from now so when when i'm when i'm when i'm speaking about stuff like this i'm like ever had a thought that came up that now has relevance for you but at the time that that happened it sat in the neutral space but Mm -hmm. now it makes you feel something because now now your your amkara is no longer indifferentiated it's it's differentiated you
0: Mm -hmm. have taken
2: that thought and said it makes me as in everything that makes me feel in a certain manner so even now you know so many years have passed by I obviously have have had tons of other experiences in my life you know some some overtly discriminatory and, and some subtle and some just, you know, fun, like fun, it was fun for both people, involved like a good joke, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I can look back and say, I know that her intent, now I can look back and say, my mind says, yeah, I think that was and that was not an unpleasant experience. If mm-hmm. I think of other similar instances in my life, I now have a sense of, I have a compartment or a shelf, if you will, for that.
0: Mm-hmm. At that
2: point, it kind of sat in, in, in no person's land. it didn't mm. really have it was and that's 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 what I love. you know that's what I also say that that's why your ego, your ahamkara, that's the critical midpoint because till the time that that object or that emotion that whatever is undifferentiated, it can either go inward where it can sit in a place of space, in a place of peace, or it can go outward, and kind of make you say something like, how do you speak to me like that? How do you say that to me? How do you think like that about me? Because then it's very clearly you versus that person. Otherwise mm-hmm. it's in the soft world, just awareness versus awareness. You know, that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. It makes me think of like kind of a serious topic. Um, this, how you've broken it down here. Because I think this is why it's so important, you know, that when we have these roles of hierarchy, like teacher, student, or, I mean, this is why like a code of ethics when teaching yoga is so important because often, you know, I was thinking, um, you know, about situations that maybe have happened to me personally, or even other people I know where, you know, something happens. And at the time, maybe it's in the neutral zone. You're like, oh, I don't really know how I feel about this. Is it good? Is it bad? I'm not sure. It's Mm -hmm. just sort of like sitting here. I mean, maybe even at the time you felt good about it, right? Maybe you were like, oh no, it's totally cool. It's totally fine. This is great.
1: He really likes me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. And then like later on, maybe even years later, and I think this is where the conversation around trauma is actually going these days is like, When you're looking back at that, and of course, maybe you've changed too, right? Because we're all changing. But also, you can look back and be like, no, that wasn't cool. (laughs) I'm not good with that anymore. Or, you know, that you could feel shame even or guilt around thinking it was good at the time, Mm -hmm. right? When really, now in the place where you are with that reflection, your ahankar, your sense of self is like, no, that wasn't good and And when you look at things sort of in that sort of slightly, I mean, it's it's in time, but it's also a little bit timeless in that there's sort of a suspended sense of, of judgment or booty around certain things um, based on sort of how our, how we're feeling.
1: It's a broadened perspective.
0: Yeah, a broadened perspective, then you know, as a, as a yoga teacher, I mean as a human being in general, but <laughs> as a as a teacher in positions of authority or as a professor or a doctor or you know whenever there's a a place where you're the one who has control or power in a situation it's so important to have those ethical boundaries and ethical actions because it's your responsibility right to uphold that space and to protect that space and so um yeah it's 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 interesting that way when you look at it, like like that your job is actually to uphold and protect a certain space, and that the people who are under you or who are in that space, you know, might not be sure about how they're feeling and how they're feeling might change. And you know, it's it's interesting, um, just to like look at it in that perspective of the bootdhi and the manas and the Hankara and how, how it, it travels through time as well. Right. And we're like constantly kind of reflecting or projecting and feeling certain ways about situations.
2: For sure. And I think the key is, especially in today's world, <clears throat> today's social media world, right. It's, um, it's almost like the mirror gets turned back to you. So while, while, while I'm still processing that, you know, everyone's gonna, it's, it's a, it's a two-way street. When when you interact with the world, the world interacts with you. So how to not take things personally? How to how to not let your conditioning determine what someone else is saying? You know, obviously it's it's great. Like you were saying, you gotta uphold that space, you gotta have your boundaries. But I think it's a it's a constant journey, it's a constant evaluation of being able to really assess that, you know. At the end of the day, what gets presented to the intellect. It's gonna make a decision based on that, right? But making that sifting, making that sorting process so thorough mm. that you're not you're not really presenting a distorted image, you know? Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: I, yeah. If I could ask a, a, a follow up question, um, I think um, I, this this notion of responsibility is is interesting. Um, Harmony and I have, have encountered it before. When you when you're thinking about trying to entertain a non-dual understanding of reality, and if if you're under, forgive me if I'm a, like a child at this point, but if you, if I'm trying to entertain a non-dual understanding of reality, where everything is, and it, it, things arise and they they disappear and uh, you're simply watching these things arise and disappear as Purusham Prakriti, then at a, I, I have heard the perspective that there is no responsibility. You're simply there to, to watch, irregardless of the, of the projected morality of the thing you're watching.
0: Right. Because nothing's right or wrong. It just is. Nothing's good or bad. It just is that kind of idea. Right.
2: Yeah. I think, I think that's a, that's a, that's a great analysis. Um, The challenge is how is one going to embody that and make it practically relevant, especially if one is in a, in a, in a position of disseminating information, if Mm -hmm. one is in a position of interacting, you know, this, if you, if you stick with the last example of a student teacher, right, um, it's not really what you're saying is wrong or what I'm saying is wrong. It's kind of being in that seat of witness. And it, it, it's a hard process. It's a hard process because at one point you might ask a practical question which might be as simple as well. Then what's the point of this anyway? You know, if, if everything has two sides to it then what's the point of this anyway? But I think the point is just kind of asking yourself that question. In, in my personal experience, for a very long time, I would use the Yoga Sutras to understand the world outside of me. I would try and use the Yoga Sutras and understand why people say the things they do, why people interact the way they do, and so on and so forth. But to be but to be very honest, what I'm beginning to realize with each passing day is that this book, you know, it's my go-to for, for some stuff, is nothing but my self-study. It's why I act in a certain manner. It's why I say the things I do. It's why I do the things I do. And going back to your question, I think that's, that's the crux of it. The crux of it is that you are the witness or, or the witness is inside of you, You know, however you want to quantify that. And the journey is around the shaping, the refining, the toning, any word that makes sense here of that witness while you're interacting with the world. So it's almost, you have to, it's interesting, right? We speak about Vahiragya, we speak about detachment. So that's the detachment. Your engagement with the world is detached of any other outcome, but your own self. And not from a selfish perspective, not like I'm just going to put my needs over everyone else's, but you're literally going to put, just sound cliche, your own spiritual elevation or your progress on this path as your primary driver not necessarily trying to improve other people in your life make the world a better place outside of societal responsibilities again so many disclaimers in today's world but yeah
1: <laughs> that's beautifully beautifully said that you know, it's it's the embodiment the practical embodiment is the problem and so putting your spiritual development first is is quite different than putting your say uh, your purient sexual needs ahead of your student. You know, so that's that's a very different thing. Um, one one question, and I, maybe we should let you off the hook a little bit, so you're not just talking. Um, you're not just um, interpreting Patanjali's sutras <laughs> for us for the next hour, but you're doing a beautiful job, and I'm really I'm I'm really very grateful for your insight. Um, I have the idea, and again, this is a kind of bigotry. That your last name Singh is a Sikh name. Can I make that presumption, sir?
2: Almost. I'll give you. <clears throat> I'll give you an insider's tip. How to find out if an Indian person with the last name Singh is a Sikh or not? If I if I was a if I was a Sikh then I would have something at the end of the sing. So, for example, I have a really good friend whose name is quite similar to mine. His name is, uh, instead of Vikram. it's B, Bikram like, uh, Bikram, like like B for Bombay. Yeah. So his mm. name is Bikram Jeet Singh Pawar. All six were um. asked to add the name Singh to their existing name because Singh means lion and they're warriors. But yeah. if someone's name ends in Singh, they are in all of my living here so far and what I know and people that I've met, I've never met a Sikh whose last name was Singh. There was, there's always something at the end of it.
3: Sing so call. for example,
2: Singh Kaur would just be the equivalent of uh, a a, fem, a masculine would be Singh. You could be, let's say Manpreet Kaur, and then mm-hmm. it would end there. But for, for the men, mostly there is a last name at the end of it. And that's what kind of decides, that's what helps you identify whether this person is a Sikh or not. And huh. Yeah. Whoa. And Singh could, Singh could mean two things. Singh could mean that you could be, I guess, a broad category in the northern part referred to as Punjabis. You could be a Punjabi, mm-hmm. uh, but, not a, but not a Sikh. Or Singh could also mean that you are <clears throat> from, the, from the, just to make things easier, from the from the warrior clan, from the warrior class, from the Kshatriya subset, mm-hmm. uh, a Rajput, if you will. And okay. they also come Amazing. from different places in India. So, yeah, so I, I fit in the second category. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a Sikh. Um, so we Krujit Singh. yeah, that's, if it, if the buck stops at Singh. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't make assumptions. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs>
2: there you go. There I'm glad to asked the question.
0: Where, where was your family from? Mm-hmm.
2: So I grew up, I grew up in Delhi, but my, uh, but my uh, mom's, my mom's family, uh, my my grandfather from my mother's side, uh, they were living in in modern day Pakistan erstwhile combined India. Wow. So they mm. came over at the time of the partnership. My mom was born uh, yeah. in Delhi. Yeah. And had and, to uh, move. Yeah. And had to move, yeah. The part of yeah. the big displacement, yeah. Um my, my father's family is from a, a province from my Canadian friends state for the for the US, yeah. North American friends. Um Uttar Pradesh, which is a, a big state, a big province in in northern India. So that's where my father's family is from. But pretty much, you can say from Delhi for the last couple of generations.
1: Okay, nice. Okay. And and so when you described growing up in India and being um, fascinated with the rich tapestry of of uh, Indian Hindu mythology, that was very very personal. That was a those were family. That was a family religion for you. Is that correct
2: i would i would say not so much religion but uh, but upbringing it's interesting you know it's interesting how this conversation hmm. has led us here so my mom belongs to a sect that are called sindhis they were because they were from ah, yeah. sindh in pakistan so they're sindhis
3: um,
2: yeah mm-hmm. so sindhis go to a gurudwara a lot which is a sikh temple And uh, you would see that I I wear this, uh, well, at least you can see it. I'm not sure if anyone else can see it. I wear this this bracelet, which is called a kara, which normally would mean that I'm a Sikh. You know, I wear that because my, my mom has those affiliations. So I grew up going to a Gurudwara, which is a Sikh temple. I grew up going to a Krishna temple. Krishna is a big deity in our house. I grew up going to an Arya Samaj temple. That was my grandfather's affinity. So I grew up with just the concept of divinity around me, and it wasn't specific. And that's why I kind of, that's why I kind of said upbringing as opposed to religion, because it was not. Sometimes religion is can get to be very dogmatic, but it literally for me was a very secular, widespread religion. Mm. Um. So from so different temples, different shrines, different outings. Uh, different mythologies, different stories. Yeah, that's what I grew up with. And, and I was fascinated. I was fascinated with those as a child because there's so many stories within stories. You know, I the only comics I've read my whole life were these comics. You know, they're still available today, um, Amar yeah. Chitrakatha. There's these comics that that tell these stories. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a fascinating
1: own collection. Yeah. Yeah. I was the Mahabharata I was fascin- is my, my favorite.
2: Yeah, you know, I was I was fascinated by the stories. I could spend hours reading those stories. And, and I could see, I could, I could see that being played out around me, you know, I could, I could see that in the temples, I could see that in, in the Kirtans and people's devotions and conversations, and in, in these pilgrimages that we would take with our family. So, yeah, a very rich tapestry. You, you, you've traveled to India, you know that there's this, there's this sense of all pervading divinity around here, a rock can be holy, a tree can be holy, mm-hmm. a river can be holy. As long as the belief is there, it doesn't need any structure. It doesn't even need anyone's approval, if you will, um, if that's someone's belief, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think growing up in that made embracing this concept of Ishvara, embracing this concept of divinity, the, the supreme being, very easy without being attached to dogma. And even for now, I mean, just a personal share. I think the easiest way for me to check out in any conversation around this genre would be any sort of quantitative comparison you know this is better than that Mm. and we we have quite a few deities as you as you know um yeah for me there's this belief that there is something divine and that's Mm. great it it's great to put a form and a name to it because then it brings a story and so much history but when it doesn't have a form and name to it and maybe just a symbol or a sound it's 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 equally powerful
0: Mm -hmm. Mm. i love that that's one of the things that i miss most about being in india is that just that sense like that the divine is all around and constantly being reminded of it. You know, you have like, like the tea stall, the Ganesha tea stall and you have the the Saraswati like convenience store and you have, you know, everything's named after one of the deities in India, just like regular mundane things. And so you can't help but like have it at the forefront of your mind all the time. And it's so beautiful because Just just like putting a bindi
1: on the forehead is another helpful reminder. Yeah. Or even, I mean, and I
0: love also in India, like even hearing like the Muslim call to prayer and, and that that's like a part of the, the fabric of the culture because it's again, just like another reminder, like, Oh, people are, you know, praying, people are thinking about God, you know, these people are like, just, it's just like, it's just like the water you swim in, you know, when you're in India and, and it's, it's so different when you're in the West because we don't have that kind of water. <laughs> we don't have that kind of like spiritual sort of um, air to breathe, you know? We have to like go to a special place or join a special club or group or, you know, create our own kind of atmosphere if we want to constantly be reminded. <laughs> about you know, divinity, about consciousness, maybe about Maybe it would connectedness. help you
1: if, you if you wore a red robe all the time.
0: <laughs> no, but the thing <sighs> is, is it's like, it's there's just like less support here, I think. And there's just so many supports in India that that keep calling you back to like, oh, you're not alone. There's something higher than you. Or everyone is connected. Consciousness is connected. You know, spirituality, divinity exists. And it's just beautiful
2: i think it's also the stark difference of uh, of life that you can see in daily encounters you know mm. this constant reminder this constant uh, this constant inbuilt sense of gratitude because you don't have to travel too far to see someone who has nothing compared mm-hmm. to what you have and and you might think you have nothing right it's mm-hmm. right next to you around you and and there is enough there's enough reminders to make you feel That you will never amass that kind of wealth, you know, in in a million years. Like you have to be in a big cosmopolitan city, you know, go to one of these fancy malls, and you're like, oh my god, this is so much money, you know, or or cars, or anything that that in the West is symbolized as a sign of success and prosperity. So you so you have that, they coexist side by side. So when you stop, when you stop and pause and reflect, and you look around, and I think that's why, you know, you know, India is often called the Karma Bhumi, right? It's a it's, it's where the karma gets worked out for for, for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why when you're there and if you are in the right right headspace or if you're even subconsciously looking for it, it's right there. You suddenly become aware of it. So when you go back and there is the complete lack of it or there is the, it's there in like tiny bits and pieces, it kind of it keeps coming back. The scenes keep playing back in terms of, wow, there was such a stark difference you know it mm-hmm. kind of really portrays life at its uh at its best and its worst
0: it's true <laughs> very true i'm
1: I'm not sure that um uh harmony got my joke um <laughs> it's it, been, it reminded me again of the of the the buddhi that uh in one in one place in one context you can have the orange saffron robes and have a, a very kind of positive experience with it and in another country, say so the United States, a woman wears red robes, and it's like it's a very negative experience. Why? Because she has a handmaid, sweetie.
0: Oh, but that's exists in fiction.
1: Yeah, it's fiction, but it's. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like there's um, there's a kind of very real, very real sense that
0: nobody got that joke.
1: I do I'm, not question Martha's intelligence. I'm
0: not alone here. No,
1: I'm sure. I'm sure she 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 got. A, I I think that there's a um especially on the outside looking in and being canada and looking at the united states i feel like a um a very a a, a creeping sense or perhaps um a creeping awareness a
0: creeping doom
1: doom that there <laughs> that there is a, a an autocratic christian movement in the united states that is um pushing the country towards towards fascism and a, and a very kind of real, perhaps it's been it's been it's been moving this way for <clears throat> you know there's an, maybe an undercurrent for hundreds of years, or uh, perhaps it's just finally revealed to us. But uh, I it feels also at the same time that all over the world, say in, in Brazil or Turkey or Russia or even Boris Johnson in, in Great Britain, that there is a kind of um, there's been a real leaning towards autocratic political movements. And I, I didn't know if you were comfortable to talk about your experience in, in India. I don't know if, if uh, Hindutva uh, is something that you'd be willing to talk about on air. Um, uh, but it, it seems like it's there's a this is the time we're living in of, of theocratic uh, fascism is kind of everywhere in, in our reality now.
2: For sure. You know, um, because I went to school here, right? And I and I studied the history as part of <clears throat> as part of our curriculum. The reality is for centuries, from the fifth century till the British left in 1947, you know, India's been an oppressed country. There's someone who was here who was literally raping, looting, plundering. Mm-hmm. So oppression has been a way of life here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm um colonization if you if we stick with the brits was a way of life here right
3: mm-hmm.
2: i have no lived experience of it my father was born literally at the cusp of independence he has no lived experience of it my grandfather from whatever i remember in our chats you know he obviously lived through it so where it gets tricky where it gets tricky is to is to find that balance and that discernment because let's face it a group of angry people, just angry people, irrespective of their gender, nationality, any label, when stoked and stirred up in the right sentiment, will react, will Mm -hmm. react to whatever they've been conditioned to believe.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: Now, when that is the sentiment, you know, because there's facts, right? This is not fiction. No one's saying, oh, the Mughals weren't here, the Turks weren't here, the Brits (laughs) weren't here. They were here. Yeah. Yeah. So you see it playing out in streets being renamed. You see it playing out in stricter regulations on alcohol, beef, whatever would be considered as taboo. And then you have this amalgamation of of folks who are by virtue of their bringing, by virtue of their education, by virtue of any external factor, have that discernment, you know? So they're literally, again, we are living in this stark contrast, this stark contrast where the mob mentality can take over. And there is also a fair amount of discernment. And what's at play is actual history that has happened, which can be tuked and which can be tweaked, not even tweaked. It can be presented in a certain manner. So literally the call here is a call for compassion, non-violence, inclusion, all of the above, and even a call for forgiveness. Like those are real events. Those are not made up events.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So that sits at the root. You know, I, I don't have a lot of knowledge, so I'm not going to pretend that I do, but this is what I think in in my embodied experience, you know, if I was, why am I not angry? I'm angry about, I'm angry about a lot of things, you know, that I think should stop in the, in the larger landscape of yoga, but I'm not necessarily angry at some of the, you know, Hindutva issues, if you will. And -hmm. that's my sense of discernment. Although I have the same background, right. The same historical events are available for me as well. To kind of purview go through inform, and form an opinion.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think that, that's at play here. Also, what's what's at play here, I think is good old fashioned money and power. I mean, mm-hmm. look, you know, I, I very casually said $16 billion, but that's kind of true, at least in 2016, of just the North American yoga industry, and this fame and the success, and this, mm-hmm. um, and almost this, you know, if, if, I, if, if, I, if I say the right things, you know, I can portray a picture, where literally things are being stripped down and erased and represented and repackaged. And we, we can spend you know multiple podcasts dissecting those, but that's happening as well. And yeah, so where is that clear demarcation? Where is that clear line? It's so blurry, it's absolutely blurry. So I can see why there is a ministry of Ayush. I can see why there is a minister of yoga. I can see why there is this push to put yoga back on the front to kind of counter yoga lines and say, well, who's yoga lines to decide what, what mm-hmm. a yoga teacher should do or should not do? Why don't we have a say in it? How come, how come we are not at the table? How come we are not making these decisions? Who approved yeah. this curriculum? You know? So there's, there's so much at stake here.
1: That's, that's so interesting. I was, I was thinking about um, many years ago, my, when my father lives in Detroit and Detroit was um, in a state of collapse. And he said to me, you know, what we really need is a good old fashioned dictator in Detroit. I was like, oh, that's really uh, undermines the whole principle of liberal uh, democratic institutions, dad, you know? And uh, I didn't say that. I said, dad, I think the first thing a dictator is going to do is take away your, your pornography. Um, and he said, oh, that's not good. Yeah. Um, and um it's just, but I think that's what happens: is it, the institutions break down because of corruption, and then the people, like you said, a mob, they they kick out in a very angry way, and they they select someone who, like a like a bully, you know, they think, oh, Trump, you know, or Mussolini, he will be the one to fix this, you know, and then the whole thing spirals into uh, the collapse of of any kind of institutional order. And it becomes quite corrupt, but oftentimes. But then I I completely understand, you know, people looking out at say the um the say just to take America for example, the the collapse of the American cities in the 70s, and 60s. They were bankrupt and um and people kicked out and said, Oh, we need law and order. We need someone like like Nixon to come in and bring law and order and bring some kind of maybe ethic and there's this Christian ethic readily available so as you as you say there it's like a like the facets of a diamond you know each you each time you look at a situation you can look at it through a completely different lens it doesn't um we we would like to be told what to do for most parts,
0: yeah (laughs) i'm curious what your experience is um you know you sort of mentioned that like in india you understand the sort of um reclaiming of yoga and like um you know bringing it back to its roots and this trend um to kind of take the wisdom and repackage it you know like cultural appropriation right which it, you're you're turning it into something that you know is basically
1: antithetical to its its mission
0: kind of yeah or at least like claiming it as your own when it's not it's just oh, like straight up well. stealing in a way yeah. um but i mean you practiced with moksha yoga now moda yoga Modo yoga and and then also ashtanga yoga in Toronto, and like, what's your experience of that kind of dynamic in um, Western culture? How like versus, I mean, how it's presented in India, or even just like how we've we've either appreciated or appropriated the the knowledge.
2: I think in the end comes down to <clears throat> excuse me. In the end comes down to this whole process of discernment, right? So. Even before I got into any of these conversations, I I wasn't really drawn to any of these, you know, I'm just gonna say new agey styles or experiences. I was drawn to a practice. You know, one was in the heart room, the other was a set sequence, you know, devised or made up by a man in Mysore. In both cases, they were both practices. They were not experiences. They were practices that were rooted in longevity, um, repetition, discipline. Some sort of semblance, some sort of order, and I guess some sort of reverence. You know, there is, there is, sure, in the Ashtanga lineage, there is, you know, picture or pictures of gurus, definitely. In in the in the in the moksha world, you know, there is no pictures of gurus. There is no, you're not paying homage or obeisances to anybody, but they were both practices. I think where things are getting a little mucky, and I can see that is is this desire to to recreate, is this desire to find excitement, is that desire to make it stimulating and at some point not caring at what cost that comes. Mm -hmm. And I think to me, the crux is this, you know, ignorance is a beautiful thing because it does two things. A, it, it hides the true nature of something and then B, it superimposes something on top of it. So not only do you just have a layer you have two layers and i think that's what i see predominantly happening now you know yoga is not this fill in the blanks yoga is this fill in the blanks and i think it's kind of literally off the off the rails now you know the reality is no one really owns yoga you know I, on the way I was looking that up, you can't really patent yoga. It's not that, it's not like it's not like champagne or mozzarella that comes from a region, you know? You can't, you, you can't put a you can't put a patent on it. But I guess you can partake and you can have some sort of representation as to what that looks like, what that means, with some sort of a benchmark often here terms like the evolution of yoga. Well. We have scripts right you have books you have access to these books everything is codified it's written we have manuals you know yoga academia and yoga has made these this knowledge very easily accessible so it's not that we have no idea what it used to be or what was said in the books or what was taught right in different aspects and that's where sometimes i think it's very interesting this this cherry picking it's 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 a if you ask me it's a two-pronged approach a, ignorance plays the big part. This is not what this is. This is what I think it is. And B, cherry picking. I'll pick this, 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 <laughs> this. And I'd like to call it yoga. And I'd like to do it once a week with my buddies on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. I
2: think at the end of the day, it's interesting, you know, social media, you got to love social media. I've been getting some wonderful feedback uh, <laughs> from, 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 from people I've never met. And I don't think I ever will you know, but it's, inter- but it's, but it's interesting. It's interesting because I can kind of see, you know, when I started teaching yoga history, I would hear things like, you know, take yoga back or the classic said log build, you know, case in, in Uh And I, and, and I, and I couldn't figure out what was the big deal, but I kind of see it now. I kind of see why it's a big deal. I kind of see why some folks are, are really angry about it or upset about it or concerned about it. I can see that. I can see that because it's, it's too, it's for the lack of a better word, sometimes really preposterous to come mm. across stuff and to hear someone's understanding. So I'll go back to our original, our original conversation, Russell is at that point, I got to find an undifferentiated ego because my differentiated ego knows exactly how that sentiment makes me feel. Mm. And I can put it in a few and I can explain myself very clearly in a few words, not very choices words, but I got to step away from that and find an undifferentiated experience and kind of almost step back and witness be a witness mm-hmm. to that. And it's interesting. I, I, I don't know how these things will play out. You know, we, we oftentimes define this kind of, this kind of stuff as evolution, but that's not evolution. That's adaptation. That's, mm. I don't know, customization. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, if I was to go down the Sanskrit route, that's like straight up, Astea. that's like straight up stealing, you know, mm. or it's the opposite of asteya. that would be steya you know, yeah. that's, like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's straight up stealing, you know, yeah. it's, um, So yeah, not my place to say how how that will play out. I think you have your set of students who have found you and it makes sense what you bring to them. They're aware of what's what's out there, right? The social media is a well-connected world. Mm -hmm. And they've kind of made that discernment that in this broad genre of yoga, practicing with you, having your offerings in place for them makes sense, brings whatever yoga means to them. And I think, I guess the last thing I'll say in this long-winded answer is it's not a bad idea, you know. We oftentimes think of traditional as hundred years old. You know, people will make an example like Patabi Joyce. That's traditional yoga. No, okay. that's like hundred years old. Like mm-hmm. that's my grand that, that's my grandfather. That's not traditional. The yeah. Katha Upanishad, you know, where where yoga is defined for the very first time, mm-hmm. that's traditional. Mm-hmm. That was two thousand. That was two thousand whatever years ago. It's like third century BCE. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. That's, five thousand years. Twenty five hundred. Five thousand. Thank you. That Mm -hmm. stood the test of time. That's traditional. And it went on and got codified and got translated in different languages, but still kind of had that same meaning. There was a framework that was traditional and it impacted societies and civilizations across time. It gave them a benchmark to evolve on any sort of evolution in classical yoga or anything from this text has evolved into a common goal, a shared Mm -hmm. vision. Mm -hmm. That's what what it's, it's evolved into. For me, it's hard to kind of wrap my head around evolution being linked to an experience. The evolution I see is what trendy word can I attach as a prefix or a suffix to yoga? That's not evolution. I mean, at least in my humble opinion, um, but who am I to say, right?
1: Um, yeah. one, we had one guest on talking about, um, and I forget her name right off the top of my head, but we had one guest come on and talk about appropriation. And she, she very kind of neatly said, you know, is there harm? Is, is himsa involved in the appropriation and, and is someone hurt by it? And I think what, what you're describing is a is a kind of, yeah, is a kind of uh, harm when someone cherry picks, codifies and, and then markets is quite different from in any kind of sincere way trying to learn. And I might be thick, but I've, I've tried to learn, but in, in perhaps the, the attempt was sincere if, you know, um, uh, poorly developed you know I think that's I think that uh, the case of a sincere person learning is quite different from the 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 the, the, the cynical poser
0: was Praniti.
1: yeah she was very nice
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's uh, it's definitely uh, a <laughs> it's definitely an interesting time to be alive in the in the in the world per se let's just put it there yoga is just a tiny part of it
0: mm-hmm. yeah what's interesting you know it, it reminds me of these two like schools that you've practiced with because maybe many people in america i don't know how prevalent moksha yoga is in america or Modo yoga now but um, in canada it was very popular and probably still is i'm not really sure what's going on out there these days but um and i've met ted grand as well who's sort of the head Honcho, <laughs> the guru of the moto yoga, um, he came to our school when we were in Victoria because he lives on Salt Spring Island. And um, and what sort of at that time, I was very uh, strict to Shtanga yoga, you know, in the lineage, like you don't have music, you practice six days a week, you take moon days and, you know, Saturdays off or Sundays. And um, you're a zealot. Yeah, I was a zeal, <laughs> and you know all the all the stuff that goes along with the very kind of rigid Ashtanga yoga approach, um, and and also the idea that you know we had a like a real guru in an India and guru in Mysore who would tell his teachers, "You go teach. You set up a school. You go teach." You know maybe send your students back to, to learn real yoga from me, but you can go and get them started, right? Like that was sort of the approach.
1: It's a legitimizing approach.
0: Yeah, but it felt very much like in this sort of stream or flow of, of how yoga would have been taught in India where the teacher says, you go, you do the yoga. Um, I am getting to a point here. <laughs> Whereas the moksha yoga or the moto yoga is set up as a franchise where you go, you take the teacher training. And then if you want to set up the school, you have to buy the franchise and pay the the yearly annual, whatever it is, I'm not exactly sure, fees back to the head guru. And you have to have him in to teach a certain number of workshops and da, 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 da. So it's like a pyramid scheme in a sense. And To me, I mean, at at that stage in time, I mean, I'm much less judgmental than I used to be, I think.
1: (laughs) Did you make a judgment about this at one point?
0: Well, it felt very uh, like cultural appropriation because it was very much going towards an American or North American person who created this pyramid where all the money is going to him. And he's taken this knowledge from India and now made it his own and in order to teach his style of yoga you have to buy the franchise and and stay oh, in that little pyramid like bikram yeah like bikram yeah. exactly exactly it was set up exactly like bikram yeah. and i mean i guess bikram gets a pass for being indian uh he does not get a pass for a lot of other things but you know at least you can't say he's like you know participating in cultural appropriation. Hmm. But so my question is, how did you feel about that?
2: You know, it's interesting. I've, I've never really, never really, never really thought about it in, in this way. Um, and I was doing that same thing in terms of kind of like, as you were speaking, my mind was like quickly categorizing, kind of sort, <laughs> you know, figure out out where, where that would, where that would fit. And I think that I think it was in 1987 that Yoga Works got formed. I think that's when you know yeah, Marty okay. and Chuck kind of like put up the first studio, mm-hmm. and I think since then that's kind of been give or take the model that was followed. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. at that point of time, if I look at the 1980s, anyone with with any sort of a presence in the yoga industry per se wasn't much of an industry then, had direct, if not one removed, connection to a teacher in India. Who was either still in India or teaching in North America, so Man. I think that's almost a given. That's almost yeah. a given in terms of that's where it came from. Now, good or bad, you know, this how how moksha came about in Canada was to completely sever ties with Bikram and the unethical practices at that point unethical just meant predominantly just not very hygienic, not very green, not very eco friendly, right?
1: And kind of no, like
0: wanting to. Just yeah, not that. The <laughs> raping yet.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness.
2: I mean, I, I, I don't know what was happening at that point time, but at least those were not the reasons, you know. It hadn't come to light. Let's let's put it this way. So, so when I think of that, when I think of my, when I think of my stint with them, you know, I've been teaching to them. I'm, I'm still on their YDD faculty. I haven't taught in a studio now in a in a Moksha studio now for about two and a half years, being in India. But I gotta tell you that the ethics of the way the things were done. Where, where their heart is, where their mind is, right from the karma classes to the pillars, I found that to be very sustainable. Now, I should also say that with a bit of a disclaimer that I haven't really explored too much of the world outside. So I can't say that what is my benchmark, but I gotta say that, you know, having been a part of it, having, having seen how they have kind of operated in the last, I think they've been around since 2004, um, has seemed ethical and fair. Don't get me wrong, they're a part of this larger industry that produces YTTs and trainings and so on and so forth. Of course, that's a given. But I I, I got to say, the reason why I stuck around, the reason why I never taught it a good life or you know or, or any other gym was predominantly because of that. The desire for me to stay there for so many years, even when my own personal practice changed with Ashtanga, was, was this, this belonging to ethic. Not necessarily belonging to a lineage, because Honestly, there is none. There's Bikram Ghosh, Vishnu Ghosh. That's the end of that lineage, right? So Mm -hmm. thankfully, no continuation needed there. But this this commitment to something larger than just what a mainstream, high street, main street studios offering, you know, literally from like a skinny body in Pincha Now I have that graphic somewhere pointing towards the studio and the sign says this way to karma, you know, right (laughs) from... That's awesome. It's true, you know, <laughs> wow. right from right from signage like that to like solar panels. There's lots, there's lots of good work that they do, right? Yeah. So there was always that cause. And I think it's because, you know, both both Ted and Jess, they didn't become green or they didn't become eco-friendly because that was a thing to do. That was in their, that was in their DNA, literally. Mm-hmm. And that's what formed, you know, it's 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 a big company, no, no denying that. I think 70, 74 studios. I could yeah. be wrong, give or take in that. But I think what kept me there and how I think about that is still this ethical perspective. And that's why my messaging to anyone who is from, I guess, YTT such as that is the same. Don't stop there. Mm-hmm. If you would like to call yourself a holistic yoga teacher, you know, go on, carry on, find a good school, see see who teaches, who teaches the 200 basic hours, see what they stand for, see how, where do they fit in this large scheme, this large business of yoga. Let that be your first process of discernment. And then keep building on that. So I think from that perspective, yeah, that there was no conflict there. And I have to tell you again, in 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 my limited experience with a few studios that I taught, um, there's nothing that seemed outwardly. I know there have been some instances, you know, it's a it's a big franchise, but there was nothing that was outwardly clashing with my sense of morals and ethics. Nothing that was like, you know how I said about someone saying something and then I quickly quantify, process it, there was nothing that was glaring there. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's why I think that relationship continued. and, and it well, I think
1: I, I really appreciate mm-hmm. that you, you're saying that because I think again and again, you, you, you come back to this really very noble virtue, which is discernment, you know, you can be outraged, you can, you can see harm being done. But we just continuously go back to discerning through our own lens what we are interpreting whether it is real or not, whether there's truth or not. And I think this is a kind of personal responsibility that is, that is really quite lovely and, and a kind of beautiful takeaway for people listening.
0: How did your personal practice then shift? What, what was the impetus of that? And what was that like?
2: You know, it seems like we're like dragging all the skeletons out of the closet. So.
1: <laughs> oh. Yeah. makes well. for a good uh, radio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: sure so so i was teaching at a at a moksha studio happy with my 7 day 7 day 7 days moksha practice yin practice it was great i was lovely i was strong not very flexible life was good and then um, was good. <laughs> and then the studio and then the studio manager at one of the studios where i was teaching told me about an ashtanga immersion that was happening at that studio um and it was it was it was supposed to be really good the price point wasn't very expensive it was on the weekends and in a nutshell it meant that I would get to hang out um you know with that person yeah. every Saturday Sunday for at least nine to five so yeah. I said yeah yeah sure me and I'll do the immersion so I did the immersion and uh, and I found the practice and it resonated with me and uh, so the rest of and the that was it Sunday.
0: Was there something that like stood out to you as like quite different from Moksha or were you getting something? Did you get something new from it? Like, what was it that I mean? That's a big shift.
2: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) right off the bat, I got super open hamstrings. I was still pretty stiff, so (laughs) so with those with those million forward bends six days a week, I got I got my hamstrings got open very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, jokes aside, I think it started tapping into a new sense of physicality that I wasn't used to before. Mm-hmm. And that just subconsciously was opening doors somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. I, uh, if I think of, if I think of my early years in practice, um, there was this almost, I would not say obsession, mm-hmm. but this, this initial heat, this tapas, you know, this, this craving mm-hmm. to keep exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, that had been missing in uh, in my practice Mm. Um, and I think also maybe a bit of the maybe a bit of the rigidity you know which obviously after some time takes a toll on you and you kind of like explore that a little bit but maybe some of that rigidity made some sense it kind of for those first initial years it kind of harnessed me and you know those those horse blinders yeah and just kept me very focused you know the on the breath on the gaze you know Mm -hmm. you you know the tristana so it that 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 really that really helped me channel something internally which i think had kind of gone on to the autopilot perspective Mm -hmm. on the other side you know you know you you can you you both experienced practitioners you can meet you can check all the boxes and your mind could be you know in honolulu your chin could be on your shin, but that's that's all that's there in the room right now, you know? Yeah,
0: so. <laughs> that's all that's there in the room. I love that.
3: Yeah.
0: So it was sort of like you were maybe at a little bit of a plateau with the moksha practice and like enjoyable, but not really feeling like super challenged. And the, the Ashtanga yeah. practice, like it reignited that fire for you.
3: Yeah.
2: And I have to say there is a, you know, you're, you're, both, you're both Ashtanga teachers there's a lot at play outside of the asanas, that dynamic, Mm -hmm. that teacher student dynamic, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not a free for all. It's not a get into pigeon. It's not a listen to your body kind of setup. And I'm talking (laughs) about the, and I'm talking about the early years, you know, and a lot of teachers, you know, um, still have that approach. Some have kind of become a little more malleable, you know, it's Mm -hmm. it's a changing world, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and both of you have your, have, have your feet firmly planted into it. Uh, But I think beyond this, it had its merits. But at the same time, for, for the same reasons where it became so appealing a few years later down that line, the exploration was on the other aspect, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's something very important. You know, the the mind is is so powerful that it's what is at play. Mm-hmm. Beyond a certain point, it's not really about the asanas anymore, you know, physical restrictions, physical capacity, mobility and it's and it's shelf life will catch up with you, you know, yeah. it, then it becomes a mind game, you know? So, yeah. so yeah, I think it's been, it's very, it's been, it's been very interesting. I've been, I've been doing it for a while. Like, like I was mentioning before we started recording, I, I still have that practice, but it's been very interesting observing the changes, both in my own teaching style, in my teaching practice.
1: Can you describe for us now, you've moved, uh, how long have you been living now in Goa? and Goa? you moved back to India from Toronto, how long ago?
2: Yeah. So we, we came here in January of, we finished a month in Mysore in December of 2019. We came here in January of 2020. I've been hosting retreats in India for the last seven, eight years. So we had one planned, which finished on March 20th. We, we came to Goa in Jan 2020. Just in it time. Finished. Yeah. And, and March 22nd, we went into a lockdown. And wow. we weren't sure, we weren't sure what to do. We, we, we could have taken an expatriation flight like other canadians would bring but we kind of chose to stay here mm-hmm. so we've been here for jan jan feb march april may like about
0: yeah, two and a half
2: years, two years. Yeah, yeah almost two and a half years yeah um, uh,
1: so there wasn't necessarily um an intentional choice it, it it happened to you and you decided to stay rather than you were in canada and decided to move to to india
2: yeah it's quite different we had a flight out from here to Delhi on April thirtieth. So, had the world not "quote unquote" changed, we would have left on April thirtieth. Yeah. We had, uh, we had made a, we had made the decision to not live in Toronto anymore. So, we had shut the apartment, kind of closed that chapter. Oh, that and was And both fortunate. my wife, my both wife and I were looking to possibly move to a smaller place, maybe on the west coast, and you know, just kind of. I've lived in New York for a lot of years, Toronto for a lot of years, so kind of looking for a a quieter in a smaller, smaller yeah. town life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Is that what you found there at Goa?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure.
2: <laughs> the teaching is very different though. Teaching is very different in the last two and a half years. I've taught more uh, philosophy workshops rather than us. it's a very transient culture here. It's mm-hmm. not your studio culture. Mm-hmm. There's no studios that I know of here, at least not, not where I am, maybe in the capital city in Panjim. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, you know, Every, every two days a week, I teach a group of six really dedicated students who can be practicing this beautiful outdoor location. So yeah, teaching, teaching asana has taken a bit of a backseat um, and I do miss it, to be very honest. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure in due course of time.
0: Mm-hmm. What area of Goa are you living in right now?
2: In, in North Goa. So just at the start of the beaches. So I'm in a place called Siolim. So if you travel 15 minutes North, you'll be at Morjim, so Morjim, Ashwim, Arambol, that's the
1: Mm.
0: that's the main that's the main strip if you will North go yeah oh Mm. so nice right near the beach
1: i have to say that i i do have a kind of uh political point of view and i think of i think of you know living and where people live and i think of the the politics involved and if it were me i would be pushing towards the mandating that the russians wear more clothes (laughs) (sighs) but that's a kind of discrimination you understand to say that there must be the Russians, you know, it's sort of the whole thing is political minefield.
2: It is. It's, I mean, and there, there's so many of them Hey, you know, there I'm sure you've, you've, seen <laughs> there it, you, you've, you've seen the jokes on the internet, you know, many menu, <laughs> men, menus here, many menu, r- menus in Russia. They're in
0: Russian. I, have, I know. Yeah. Russia, it's amazing. Yeah, so. especially that area in the north part of the of Goa. Yeah. Yeah. Once
1: you start putting yeah. signs on restaurants, you know, Russians must wear clothes. You're in trouble. <laughs> There's a lot of, yeah. The whole world is becoming smaller at that point. It's not yeah. not very nice.
0: What's it? What's so I always find funny about Goa, because even to this day, my my son, he does not think that Goa is India. <laughs> he, he probably thinks
1: it's an island. We take Pacific, him there so. and
0: do a retreat. At, Purple Valley and then go to Mysore after. And every time we'd leave go, he'd be like, Oh, good, we're finally going to India.
3: <laughs>
0: and even, uh, even,
3: even I was didn't... talking
0: to him the other day in the store, and he was like, remember, he was like, remember, he was trying to, he was remembering something about when we were in Mysore. Um, I forget what it was, but it was something that happens only like really in India. And he was like, Oh, that was like when we were in Goa. And then he's like, oh no, no. That was when we were in India. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's changing. It, it's it's changed. It's changed drastically in the last two years, right? Because there they have been you know, for there have been no foreigners here. Right.
0: Because
3: no
2: one could come, no one could travel. So there's yeah. been a lot of local tourism. There's been a lot of domestic tourism. Um, so yeah, Goa has when you when you visit, you'll see it's it's drastically changed. It's drastically wow. changed. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean still as beautiful. But yeah, the demographics and there's there's a lot more Indianness here in Goa mm. than, than now. <laughs> now, than, than there has been in the past.
1: Yeah. Well, I would I would love to come to Goa and visit you and study with you, and maybe perhaps <laughs> I could learn how to touch my toes again. That would be really nice. <laughs> Need a
0: little heat, a little, the, the, little humidity.
1: Yeah, just some the, some the technique. Toe, the,
2: the touching, i'm st- i'm still good at i can still manage um, so if if that's the only qualifier and stay mm. with me yeah. it's, it's it's a shoe in it's a shoe in okay.
1: and then i can then learn to balance the my mind would be wonderful yeah.
0: yeah oh beautiful well i'm really looking forward to our conversation coming up on june 5th sunday and i think you'll be in bali by then but
1: so tell us again the name of this workshop that you all are doing. What do you, what do you, uh,
0: what is, what who is, is it organized called? this? this and what is, is it called? Okay, let's talk about it. Why not? Uh, it's called the YGB Yoga Gives Back. And it's uh, yoga for mental wellness at challenging, in challenging times, or at challenging times during challenging times. Is this something
1: that Sham has, has organized?
0: No, Sham it's... is also a guest speaker for oh. the. He's speaking right before, I believe. He
1: is a friend of the on show. On June fifth,
0: well. at yeah nine a.m. and he's a great philosophy teacher. Did you know him in Toronto? In Toronto, That's,
2: you know it's it's so interesting. I have to go across the world and not be living in Toronto to finally find him. Yeah. Uh, him and Him and I, I speak with him. I I, I email him. I, I, I thank the world of him. And yeah. I was like, uh, and he's from York. My wife went to York. Um, right, I mean wow. not that not not that, that means anything, but anyway. Um yeah. So it's a I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to reconnecting with him for sure whenever we visit. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, but no, it'll be Vikram and uh, myself and Sean Korn and Anouk. prop
1: and richard and, and mary. richard
0: freeman and mary taylor oh, that's so, exciting yeah it's going to be a, a lovely panel a all of those panel. people have
1: such great great mental wellness
0: yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're you're, yeah. you're having
1: to think that one over that's, that's fine no
0: so yeah so i hope everyone comes to the conversation and then they can they can hear more of from you and from all the other panelists also so. how,
1: how could i sign up for something as nice as you have
0: to go to yoga gives back
1: yoga gives back and i sign up there for the sunday june 5th
0: yeah uh, once you make a donation you get a to come to it's a whole weekend affair mm-hmm. june 4th and 5th you get to come to all the events
1: so. that's fabulous
0: yeah yeah so yeah what can i ask you one question before we go what's um what was your sort of impetus to support yoga gives back what drew you to that particular organization
2: to be very honest just their their straight up sincerity at the work that they do mm-hmm. and and not doing it because you know i'm sorry you know I, I i call a spade a spade but like not doing it to be trendy and get social attention and because yeah. it's cool or because covid happened that's what they do that's yeah that's you know that's kayoko's i want to say it I, I don't know one fourth of a life you know yeah and the fact that and the fact that they're doing it sustainably and the fact that they're doing it as uh as yoga you know i've said mm-hmm. it before i'll say it one more time not as an experience not as a one-off thing mm-hmm. not as something to do on the weekends that's their yoga you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um 100 practice zero percent theory you know yeah. we need a we need a new equation so yeah that's 100 percent practice you know they don't, they we don't say- say- talk about it
1: if we say two percent, then maybe they will do one. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and that's so that's so interesting. You know, that was another thing of the shatanga. You know, people would say that oh, because people were reading too many books. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think hundreds, hundred percent of your life should be a practice because then you would, mm-hmm. by default, look at everything else that's non-asana.
3: But mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and you need you need a little bit of theory. You need you need to understand the philosophy. I think otherwise. It's just aerobics or like just, uh, gymnastics. gymnastics, or it's just like a workout. Yeah. You're not really like understanding what's happening. Like something mystical kind of happens when you do a yoga practice. Don't you want to know what's going on?
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. There's, yeah, so no, yeah. So yeah. there's
1: no words to describe what is going on. It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible.
2: Yeah, but that's the reason why. That's the reason why I support yeah. them. I think they're fantastic. Yeah, I'm really glad I connected with uh,
3: with Kayoko. So yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's so wonderful to that they I like how they're, you know, really empowering like the local women to support their families, to support their communities and giving them the resources to build something that's their own. It's it's so sustainable, like you say, and so exactly. you know, so incredible. It's not creating dependence, it's creating independence. And I feel like that's really what yoga is about, right? Creating independence not dependence on someone or something or yeah a space a mat a person
2: <laughs> you should you should you should put that in a t-shirt that's that's beautiful that's yeah. actually beautiful yeah. it is about creating independence right and it's interesting it's independence it's not union as yeah. as everybody on the internet is screaming yoga's union yoga's union yeah.
0: now it's it's yeah.
1: autonomous independence is that uh kaivalya is that what you yeah. Mean by yeah
0: yeah, one
1: hundred
2: percent. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. Good old Celine Dion, all by myself. <laughs> I love
3: that.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm not expecting oh, you to so say that.
3: <laughs>
1: <coughs> oh my it. god! I mean,
2: if if anybody if anybody knows about Kylie, it's that woman, you know. It and is. Me.
1: Yeah, yeah. She is very
2: hot into it. Yeah.
1: And, and very thin as well. Very
0: (laughs) Very tiny little (laughs) package with a big voice.
1: (laughs) If you can learn yoga anywhere, it is in Las Vegas. That's true. (laughs) On tour. Well, thank you again, sir. That was very, that was very, very, very nice of you to come on. If people want to
0: join you online, how can they find out what you're up to? Uh,
2: I think just social media is easy. I I haven't really gone on the the website website route. So just at uh, Wandering Mat, that's my IG handle. Mm. My uh, perfect.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: I think Very the easiest nice. way.
0: Yeah, and there's okay. some beautiful posts there, so people can check it out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thank you. Thank so you much. so
0: much for coming on today. It's so wonderful to connect right. with you. Mm. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
3: Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a hard so oh.